walked out of that room and I walked out of my career, my international career. It's widely believed that this is the phone that has changed phones forever. Turning to our top story this morning, and that is confirmation of the first case of COVID-19 in the Republic. Let's get Brexit done. Now, as part of uh, the News Talk's 20 most influential moments of the past two decades, which we're going to do over the next four weeks, across the station, we are looking at different aspects of what really set us on fire uh, in the first two decades of the millennium. And Shane and I today are talking about smartphones and iPhones and how they have changed our world. And of course, we boldly went where no other news talk presenter would go <laughs> by giving up our own smartphones for the past 24 hours and moving on to the Nokias. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, like, because obviously both of us are old enough that we both had uh, those kind of Nokia blocky phones. And no uh, phones at all. Yeah, I, I found it kind of surprisingly hard to navigate. I, I thought it would be uh, easier. I thought it'd be simpler. But I kept putting my finger on the screen the whole time. And you know what? I'm, I'm one of these people who gives out about it, people being on their smartphones the whole time. And I kind of realised yesterday I'm actually one of those. You people are one of those people because I kind of not have an email, not have an access to the internet, all those things. It made me think of how clever the smartphone is. What an extension of my hand and my arm it actually is mm. because the the Nokia and it's a perfectly good phone if you want to just text or if you want to just call somebody or play Snake. Or play, I love Snake. Oh, that was the only thing I game. preferred. The game has there is there been a, has there ever been a better game? I don't think Snake? so. We were actually having snake competitions yesterday, but I think it might have been the novelty factor. Maybe it would have worn up. But there was snake and there was drag race and there was other little things that little blippy things, little pixelated things jumped around on. But but the design of the smartphone, it is so compatible with life with or else life has become compatible with yeah. that because it is an extension of our arms. And I noticed the clunkiness of the buttons. I noticed I couldn't press the screen. And I also, because we took a few um, photos and we took a few videos Useless, useless, grainy, poor resolution, pixelated pictures of our cat. Uh, really bad. Yeah. They'd go nowhere on Instagram. My kids absolutely loved it. Like, like for them, it was like kind of a gramophone or something. It was like something from the, the dark ages. They just thought they got such a kick out of how old style uh, it was. But look, there, like there's this there's a serious point in this. Um, the birth of smartphone social media, like it has changed the world. It has changed politics. Uh, you can't. To, to, to paraphrase Eddie O'Sullivan, you can't put the toothpaste back into the tube. It's not going anywhere. I'm wary of the changes, I have to say, that, that it has brought. I'm not sure they're all positive. There are, are obviously some positives. Oh, they're, they're definitely not all positive and, and, and there are significant negatives. But things like being able to check your email really easily, things like WhatsApp messaging apps like that, that you can yeah. kind of, you know, they're encrypted, they're safe, they're Are we free. trapped by them though a little bit? I don't know because I did notice when I was on the, the blocky Nokia that I was using my phone less because it was kind of less appealing. And maybe that's a good thing tell you one of the things I thought of when, when I got it and I hadn't really given it proper consideration for younger kids whose parents want them to be contactable in a way that uh, yeah. a lot of p- parents would feel that now. Would not be able to access yeah, the internet. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually thinking that it would be if yeah, Santa if idea. Santa is listening that Santa should be considering for the kids who are on the cusp of getting a phone maybe this is the right phone to get because it is very the, the interaction between a smartphone and us This it really made me think about my interaction with yeah, smartphones. Yeah. No, absolutely. Just a quick thing on, on social media. Look, as I say there are many positives about it but I think there are also negatives. I think it has changed politics for the worse. I think politics is more divisive more confrontational I think it has changed journalism I think you have 
unverified stories uh, emerging on social media and I think journalists are way too influenced by what is trending on, on, on Twitter and don't apply enough rigour and enough scrutiny and I think social media has become the modern day equivalent of pitchforks and torches, mob rule and I am really worried about where that is going uh, to bring politics and we shouldn't be complacent in this country saying we can't have a Donald Trump here. Oh yes we bloody can and it'll be driven by social media. That is my big fear. Yeah and, and I don't think that's an invalid fear because I do think that we are seeing a change in discourse. That remove that we we have from the people that we interact yeah. with on social media has allowed us to monster them, to dehumanise them, Anger to objectify is the default them. Emotion. Yeah, it, it is unfortunate. We will, of course, be talking across the station. I can't speak myself across the station for the rest of the day about the birth of the smartphone, the iPhone, social media, and all of the changes that that brought in the first twenty years of the millennium. Because it is one of our influential moments. And Pat Kenny will be talking about, it. and indeed, Joe Moncrie is going to be talking about how it's revolutionised dating. I think it must be frankly terrifying to date God, in, in the yeah, era God. of social media. Thank God I'm not out there. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we're exploring News Talk's 20 most influential moments of the past two decades, as voted for by our listeners. So every day across the station, we look back at an influential moment uh, chosen by one of you. And today we're talking about the birth of smartphones and social media. It's infiltrated all aspects of our daily lives. But has uh, this small device in our hands with all the apps made our lives better or worse? I'm joined now by Professor of Forensic Cyberpsychology Mary Aiken and fashion and lifestyle blogger Louise Cooney. Good morning and welcome to you both. Now, Louise, we'll start with you because um, you have made a business out of the existence of the smartphone and social media. Explain. So when I started out, it was a hobby. Um, I always enjoyed taking photos, writing, sharing things. And I suppose as social media developed, it allowed me to create a business. Um, I didn't intend to start out that way, but when I started developing an audience, brands were interested. They saw this audience that I could reach. And now I do it as my full-time job. I advertise for brands, you know, show, showing their different sales or products they want to highlight. And I suppose that's kind of how I make my income. It's the modern form of marketing and advertising. Okay, so so how does this work? Um, I'm not a, you know, into fashion blogs myself, although my girls are, I know, and I'm sure they are fans of yours. Explain to me how it works. So... I have a, blo a blog, which is, you know, a website online. I also have social media. And I think as time goes on, it always changes. What are people really paying attention to and engaging with? At the moment, it's, you know, mainly kind of Instagram, Facebook, the social media platforms. So mm -hmm. I create content both unpaid and paid. And I kind of do it very true to my style. And people have gotten to know me over time. I've been doing it for nearly six years now. So, you know, it's like I have a relationship with all my followers you know, they kind of feel like they know me and they can trust me. So when I recommend a product, it is beneficial for the brand and brands will see, you know, huge return on sales and growth for their business. So it's, you know, it is mutually yeah. beneficial in that sense. Yeah. And do you make it clear when you're being paid to plug something versus when you're just saying, oh, I love that uh, jacket and I'm going to mention it to, to my audience? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's rules there with the advertising standards. You have to disclose when things are gifted, when things are paid for. And it works, you know, even better when it's something that you use anyway, you know, because then it really is authentic and genuine and people will kind of, you know, leave you and pay into that, I suppose. 
Okay, and if you do uh, recommend rubbish, well, then they'll soon abandon you because they'll say, you know, we don't like what she's talking about, etc. So you have to be truthful in that sense or your audience evaporates. Now, you, you were living away and you're back home. Yeah, I moved to New York last September, hoping to kind of grow my blog over there, my business over there. But when COVID hit in March, I had to decide very quickly what I was going to do because it was getting really bad over there. Um, And I'm sure you know the healthcare system over there is very different to what it is here. And I was living on my own over there. I would have been quite isolated. So I decided to come back at the end of March and, you know, I packed for a month and I've been back home ever since. I'd had to have my apartment packed up and shipped home and I've kind of decided now that I'm going to stay home. Um, One of those things that... It's a sign of the times. I know that you got mortgage approval recently, so you're going to buy something, which means that the banks and the lending institutions figure that what you do is a very dependable job. Yeah, um, so it's a recent thing that, you know, I thought for a while it wouldn't be possible, but I've been, you know, paying my tax and doing it all everything right for the last couple of years. So we're in a good place now to be able to do it. But yeah, it is a, a genuine business now, a genuine industry. Um, and, you know, it's only going to grow. There's loads of figures out there showing that every year it's growing. So hopefully it'll be around for mm. the foreseeable. Yeah. Now, it's hard to see a downside in, in what you do. As I say, you, you, you will be... Um, you know, abandoned if you if you're not doing the right thing. So that's a, a tribute to you that you're still there. It means that people like what you do, and also you were involved in a charitable activity as well. Yeah, I suppose as my platform grows, you definitely feel the pressure to share the right messages and to do something beneficial with the platform that you have. So I um back in April was reached out to by Pieta House, um, which is a mental health awareness charity and suicide prevention. And, you know, they help with everybody with their bereavement and it's all free of charge as well. All of their fundraisers were cancelled. So I did a fundraiser on my platform and was able to raise 90,000 euro, which is huge, you know, and just the message being shared was so positive. Um, I think sometimes social media can get a bad reputation for... I suppose being this perfect world where nobody ever talks about the bad days and I really do think that has changed over the last couple of years and you know when you see the the hugely beneficial effects it can have and the power it has you have to you know agree there is definitely a positive to it as well. How much of your own life do you uh, have to share I mean or do you keep it strictly commercial? Uh, It's kind of up to me I suppose but that's one thing I found when I moved to America. It's so different over there. It's far more commercial in Ireland, I suppose, because it's a smaller nation. You do share more real time things and you feel like, you know, everyone because we're, you know, it's just one of those countries where everyone knows someone who knows someone. So I do share, you know, some personal things and then I try and keep some things private as well. It just kind of depends. You have to learn over time where the line is. Mm. Well, you're very successful and known to one and all, I am assured. Um, So this is, if you like, um, something that would not have been possible without the invention of the smartphone and the associated uh, social media. So, Louise, all to the good. I'm sure, though, Mary Aiken, who's been listening to that conversation, (laughs) will appreciate there are darker sides to all of this. Mary, good morning. Morning, Pat. So you heard what Louise is saying. Hard to see anything wrong in what she's doing. Uh, so in, th- in that sense, the smartphone and social media have have been a very positive I- influence in that arena. Would you agree? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, in the first decade of this century, 21st century, 
we've seen the launch of social media, you know, Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, Instagram, TikTok, they've all you know, happened in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. And what we've also seen with the internet is you know, democratization of knowledge, super connectivity, and it's removed barriers to entries for startup businesses like Louise. So that's all the positives. But we can't just focus on the positives. We've also got to think about risk, and we've also got to think about navigating risk and addressing potential harms. And I'm very involved in this area in the area of online safety technologies in terms of technology solutions to technology-facilitated harm. So, you know, the, the problems we're tackling at the moment are the problems, for example, around mis- and disinformation online. We're tackling problems with age verification, we're tackling problems with children being targeted, with advertising, being profiled. And, you know, we're tackling problems in terms of also the targeting of public figures online. I mean, Dr. Kira Kelly recently left Twitter because of the amount of abuse she received on a social media platform. So I think that, you know, what we have to think about is, yes, think about the positives, but the last 20 years, it's, it's a nanosecond in terms of human evolution. We need to think about a much older piece of technology, which is the human brain, and that's been in development for about a million years. And we need to understand the impact of technology on humankind. Yes, the positives, but the risks and the potential harms. Now, when you think of what you have at your disposal when you have a smartphone uh, or a tablet or whatever, uh, instant uh, access to every mm-hmm. encyclopedia in the world almost. Uh, verification, though, <laughs> we all know about fake yeah. news. But by and large, you know, you, you can carefully go about getting information and it's very, very useful. I mean, every day on this programme, we regularly access the internet to, to get um, stories and facts and all the rest of it. But then equally, you've got things like pornography, which is available mm-hmm. two clicks to a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how do you put that genie back in the bottle? Well, we have to. And, and, and the problem is that the Internet, so uh, first of all, we can't conflate devices with social media with the Internet. There are three different things. And it's always useful to think about them in three different ways. So the Internet is a pathway. It's about connectivity. It in itself is not good or bad. It's, you know, think of it like an infrastructure. But the sure. things we can control are the devices. The things that we can con- control is the content. In other words, you know, what sits on this superhighway. The problem is that the Internet was created on the premise that all users are equal. This is not the case. Some users, and children in particular, are vulnerable online. And as a society, we have to address this. And I'm very involved in this area. I'm working closely with the UK government, who are actually leading worldwide in addressing the concept of online harm. So this spectrum of harm from cyberbullying through to online harassment, through to mis- and disinformation, and how do we tackle that? And effectively, these problems although they're human problems, they're what you might consider big data problems in terms of the volume of the problem and behaviours. And therefore, we need automated or machine solutions to that. Now, do you need governments to get involved or do you just set down regulations that the big tech has to obey? I think we absolutely need governments to get involved. So we need to get governments 
them to be involved at a policy level in sort of scoping out what is acceptable. We need governments to hold the tech industry responsible in terms of they're the ones who are profiting in this space, and they have a duty of care to the user. And as I say, the UK is making huge strides forward. You know, they've had the online harms consultation paper. They now have um, this new sector. I was involved as a principal investigator, as a researcher on their research efforts, which actually looked at auditing the entire online safety technology sector and officially designating a new safety tech sector. So we've got health tech, we've got fintech, and now in the UK, we have safety tech. Unfortunately, in Ireland, uh, we're not making progress. So, is there anybody in government who is specifically charged with this area? I think that's one of the problems, Pat. I think it's it's the it's split up among a number of portfolios, from justice through to children's through to communications. Where again, in the UK, they have a much more centralised approach in terms of DCMS as a central. Um, department actually overlooks the entire or oversees the entire area and I think that's why they're making such good progress. Okay, so the message from you, Mary, is wake up here in uh, this government in Marion Street, find somebody and give them specific responsibility and get with the programme. Mary, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Mary Aiken is Professor of uh, Forensic Cyber Psychology. Mary, thanks very much. And it's Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Well, why is the date, June 29th, 2007, so important? Well, it's the date that the first iPhone was released and Steve Jobs had initially intended it to um, work as a phone and a Walkman all in the one device. But here on News Talk, as you know, all of this week and for the next uh, three and a half weeks, we are focusing on the most influential moments of the past two decades. And out of the smartphone, we of course saw the explosion of social media, mobile dating apps and the advent in uh, more recent times of the likes of TikTok but have all the knock-on effects of this been uh, good ones you can let us know your view on this today Patsy joins us here in Lunchtime Live this afternoon um, Patsy are you a, a passionate social media iPhone user? Yes I'm very passionate um, I'm actually studying media management and it's kind of been like my goal in life to keep continuing and using it Right What's me? Um, what did you say social media management? Um, media management so it's like a wide broad media management so we kind of look into everything why I want to work especially in social media creating content and managing them myself okay. um, the creation of the iPhone how influential do you think that's been oh well as an iPhone user myself I think it made our lives so much easier in terms of like communicating using it being even creative and just bringing this new technology to work every day into our life. It's really interesting, though, to see, like, you know, the likes of yourself and, and, and we've we've talked here on Lunchtime Live to um, uh, various different bloggers over the past couple of weeks and people are people now make a, a living out of it. It's it's a full-time business. I know, and I think it's great. Um, I would say it depends what kind of bloggers you follow as well. Obviously, you have the good ones and the bad ones. But I feel like when you're a social media blogger influencer, you have so much power of making good and introducing mm. people to new stuff. Like I even follow a well-known Irish influencer, uh, you can say so, um, Rosanna Purcell. And I think 
the way she presents herself on social media is very refreshing, especially for women. She's very oh, real. Yeah. She doesn't she doesn't hide who she is. She doesn't hide the flaws. And I think that's why we can take off social media mm. now is some areas are so real and it can really improve the way women even see that themselves. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, yeah abs- absolutely. Um, would you describe yourself as a, you know, uh, would, uh, a, um, a, a social media addict? I wouldn't describe it as an addict. Like, I use it a lot, but I feel like the way I use it, I manage it well. I use it for work. I use it for creative reasons. I use it to get my information, to learn new things. But then I divide it in such a way that I'm not glued to my phone and I'm still spending time in real life with my friends. Okay. So just about the balance and how you use it. Yeah. How often would you check your phone? Oh, I'm not going to lie. I check it. <laughs> I will check it every 20 minutes. You're, or you're speaking to a complete phone addict. So I don't, I don't worry. Don't worry about that. I, I have no problem um, admitting that my phone is never further than arm's distance away from me. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. But anyway, um, listen, Colm is with us here, too, on uh, Lunchtime Live this afternoon. Colm, um, what's your view of, I suppose, social media over the past couple of years? Well, I, I suppose um, I used to have social media, but I don't anymore. But I regard it as sort of like a cognitive junk food of, of sorts. And I suppose obesity in this metaphor is not being able to concentrate because when I had social media, I was always just checking, checking, checking. And and probably that was a, I felt like that wasn't a good thing. So I, I totally removed myself from social media completely. From everything? everything uh i do have whatsapp but i use it in a work capacity but i would consider that's social media for me oh really because i would view whatsapp now as just really the same as text messages yeah i mean if you see that like you know the group chats and you know you're like god i have to check that or you know you uh a friend asks you a question you're like oh, i should get back to that before i do anything else you know so i the way i see it is that like as in it's it's gaining from my attention. So there make any app on my phone uh, that makes money out of my attention. It's not on my phone. Right, it's and not the way I do it. And do you have? I suppose we're discussing today the um, some of the twenty most influential moments of the past twenty years, and and it's the listeners that are are picking. Um, you know, the twenty that we're discussing, the creation of the iPhone. Obviously, what's on the agenda today being one of them. Would you think of it as one of the twenty most influential things or items to be? introduced to the world in the past two decades? Absolutely. I, I think, uh, as you as said, like as in it's where you can get your music. The iPhone was originally where you get your music and you also get, uh, you, you can call people. You know, that's that's what it was intended. It wasn't intended to be checked all the time. And, you know, the internet and like social media are great, you know, but it's when they went public in around 2012, they started they changed their business model to try and uh, gain attention and gain people's attention. So, for example, the notification mark on Facebook, uh, you know, they, it was originally a deep blue, but they were they talked to some cognitive scientists and they said, you know, a fire alarm red will get your attention more. And so you should you should go with that. And right. so they changed it. And so you look at it more because of these things like people have put their kids through college you know, with these smart ideas, which, you know, that grab your attention. Okay. So do you, ha- what kind of a phone do you have then, Colin? I have uh, a banged up uh, Samsung, uh, I suppose, Android or, or something like that. Yeah, I'm, right. not, I'm not really sure. I'll have to check. You're, so you're just not a, you're just not a technology mad? 
No, I, I love technology. I love, you know, uh, certain aspects of technology, but I, I just don't like the social internet, right. uh, anything that gains off my attention. Yeah, well, that's 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 fair enough too. <laughs> you you don't you don't have to uh, you, you don't have to love it in the in the same way as maybe myself and, and Patsy do. Uh, Patsy, you're still with us here as well. Um, you know, is it? Do you think is it a generational thing that it's predominantly younger people that are mainly oh, using know, iPhones? Like- like my mum, uh, she has an iPhone and well, she's not like super old, like she's only 42, but the woman loves her social media, but she loves it in the way she doesn't take much of her attention. The way Colin said, uh, social media t- takes their attention and time. My mum is a busy woman, but she always takes an hour or so to enjoy a bit of like downtime by using the social media, like checking on her, God knows what, like home styles or whatever. But it's the whole way of kind of like relaxing. And I think it's a good way for kind of people to even escape sometimes or gain something new during that hour so of using it. Okay. Listen, my thanks to you both, Patsy and Colm, um, for joining us here on Lunchtime Live this afternoon. Do get in touch with us here, 53106. Why was the iPhone or the creation of the iPhone one of the um, top 20 most influential moments of the past 20 years? Now, we're going to return to uh, the most significant events of the last 20 years. And today, uh, as you probably know, we've been talking about the rise of the smartphone and uh, in this particular incident, particularly in relation to dating. Did it revolutionise the way people meet each other or just add a layer to what they were doing already? Charlie Lester has a lot of experience in the dating industry, from being the Guardian's dating editor to establishing a dating website for over 50s. And she joins us now on News Talk. Afternoon, Charlie. Afternoon. Uh, has it changed things dramatically or just made it a wee bit easier, do you think? Honestly, I think it did change things dramatically because I think before smartphones, there was quite a big stigma that surrounded online dating sites. And, you know, people would meet on them and not even admit to it. They'd kind of make up lies that, that would carry on all the way through to the wedding. And, you know, when they talk about how they met, they'd just say, you know, in a bar or something. Whereas actually, I think it's interesting because, for example, the dating app Tinder, which has quite a stigma, you know, for, for being quite a casual dating app, mm. actually has changed the way that people think about dating apps because so many people now talk about dating, you know, and, and I think if you ask most people who aren't even single, they've at least seen a dating app like Tinder on on a friend's phone or played with it. And it's just, I think, brought dating really to the forefront of people's conversations and kind of made it feel a little bit more like a game, which in turn made it feel more socially acceptable. So I definitely think that there was there was a change probably about six years ago. Um, I think in more recent years, it's maybe become a bit too superficial where so many people are online, on online dating apps that people feel like maybe they have all the choice in the world and don't even remember that they're talking to real people. Mm. But I think, um, but I think in this year in particular, with you know, with lockdown all around the world, um, the fact that so much of our communication is online anyway on things like Facebook or on Zoom, um, that that level of dating has has actually provided quite a lifeline for people and and I think been a really positive thing because actually I think we've seen people maybe return slightly more to more traditional dating this year where where they can't just uh, jump into bed with anyone. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the, yeah, yeah, at your own risk sort of thing. Uh, the, the, uh, but you, you did mention Tinder and, and you know, the, it, I don't know, my impression, and this is from a complete uh, position of ignorance, was that there was a, a, an element of cruelty uh, to Tinder and the whole swipe right. People could be dismissed so easily uh, on the basis of a picture and a few words. 
I think it's a tricky one because I think in reality, I think visual things are really important to us. And if you think about it, before online dating ever existed, a lot of people would meet in a bar and they would be judging someone on their looks yeah. in that situation too. So I think that's always going to come into it. And, you know, I've, I've worked in this industry for a good eight years now, and we've seen dating apps try and take the visual side of things out completely and kind of, you know, with games where you don't reveal what someone looks like and stuff. And they never work because because attraction, you know, looks is a big part of attraction and, and there's no getting away from that. It is interesting though, because I think there are different ways that people use different dating apps. And yes, there are people who are very dismissive on, on, on apps like Tinder, but because because it's such a mainstream app, everyone's heard about it. And quite often it almost becomes one of the um, sort of the, the, the trial apps that people sort of test the water with. So they might start on an app like that, even if they're looking for something more long-term and they're not looking for something really superficial. And you can often tell that because then the amount of information that, that the app lets you write about yourself, you can write nothing at all, but you can also write quite a detailed profile. And so you can kind of weed out different people's intentions according mm. to what they've written on their profile. Uh, and, the, the, and, and I did mention in the introduction, you, you were involved with the foundation of Lumen, which is an, a site for uh, uh, over 50s. Is that possible? one possible future in that dating uh, sites will become more and more specific? Yeah, and and um, and I should outline that Luma was actually a dating app, not a dating site, and that was right, quite yeah. a big that was quite a big thing because the whole point was that people treated over fifties like they don't use smartphones, and actually loads of over fifties use smartphones. I think I think niche is the way forward with a lot of dating apps, um, so that you can find like minded people. Whether that niche is, I mean, over fifties shouldn't be a niche, but whether that niche is your age or your religion or a sport that you do, I think the key is finding a big enough group of people that basically you don't have to even look for a certain tick box before you, on, on people's profiles. So if you are Jewish and you only want to date someone that's Jewish, it makes sense that you go on a dating app that's designed for Jewish people. If you are vegan, you know, and you only want to date someone that's vegan, well, rather than trawl through everyone else's profiles on a, on a mainstream site or app and check out vegans, if you can go somewhere where there's enough vegans that you know, oh, everyone on here already ticks that box, then that's brilliant. But the key is finding for, for these apps, for new apps, up and coming apps, the key is to find a niche that's wide enough that people still have an element of choice because the problems quite often happen when people say, oh, do you know what? I'm going to make an app for triathletes in Dublin. Well, if there's only like 20 triathletes in Dublin or something, you know, <laughs> you suddenly get quite limited in your choices and, and it's never going to survive. Right. Well, bang goes that business idea then. Uh, and <laughs> and are, are, do, do more and more sites uh, appear all the time? Yeah, I mean, so I before I launched Lumen years ago, I, I launched the Industry Awards, and we had a category of um, new dating app of the year. And every year, there would be completely brand new companies in that. That would be the most subscribed category of the awards. And I would guarantee every year, the following year, at least 80% of those dating apps had disappeared within a year. Um, because I think it's, it's, it feels like an area where people think, oh, God, there's loads of money to be made out of this. But you have to think quite carefully, I think, if you're launching a dating app. Um, because, you know, they, they, they do take some effort and your people on your dating app become your product, right? So if you can't attract lots of people or, not, or the right type of people, then, then people won't use it. Right. OK. So, uh, uh, so, yeah, tread very carefully if you're thinking of setting up a new one then. Yeah, definitely. Uh, at, at, at the at the awards that you've organised, that the, uh, who tends to win a lot? 
Oh, it varied. So, I mean, I haven't run them for a little while. One of the most interesting um, websites that used to win awards was actually, I was talking about religious niches, um, a, a site called Christian Connection, which is quite small compared to a lot of sites or apps. But I think because they were so tailored to what they were doing and the whole USP, the whole selling point of that website was that anyone that joined cared so much about their religion that they only wanted to meet other people who cared that much, that they just had the most engaged um, sort of community of people who would get married off the back of this website um, and they would send in their wedding photos and then they'd send pictures of their kids in to be used in marketing material. And I think that's really nice, right? If you are so happy with the service you've received from a dating app or dating site where you're happy to share your good news and let them use that for their marketing, then, you know, then you're doing something really well. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry, but Neve, uh, one of our listeners, has texted in to say, "Ah, uh, excuse me, there are hundreds of triathlon clubs in Ireland now." So, uh, so the <laughs> apologies for that, Neve. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually a triathlete, which is why that came to the to mind. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, the business model is back on then. Uh, thank, <laughs> thanks, William, for uh, speaking with us today. We're exploring the 20 most influential moments of the past two decades, as decided by you, the News Talk listener. So every day, right across the station, we're going to look back at influential moments uh, that you chose last week. We asked you to do this. We have looked so far this week at Saipan. We've looked at 9-11, the Celtic Tiger and the crash. Today, we are talking about the birth of smartphones and social media. And who better to talk to us about this than Jess Kelly, our own technology correspondent. Uh, Jess, you suggested this, firmly suggested this as one of the, the, the most influential moments. Why? Well, we were talking about it on the final furlong here on the hard shoulder last week and I was thinking about it over the last number of days and weeks and I think every influential moment you've spoken about uh, during this series has either been, you know, unfolding on social media or heavily uh, covered on social media since it happened. So even the things that happened pre-social media, there's now conspiracy theories that are egged on on social media. There are hot takes that occur on social media. 9-11 was an inside job. All of that just happens on social media all the time. And I do think if you look at the impact social media has had on the world, it has to be up there as one of, if not the most influential thing to come over the last 20 years. If you think back on some of the terror attacks, celebrity deaths, Hillary launched a presidential bid on social media. It has been a game changer right across the board. And therefore, that is my case. And and you were making the point as well that so many of, the things that we do as people are are documented now on social media. I'm you're, so you're, excited. You're smiling because uh, you uh, tell us what you've done. Oh, I, I didn't just do this. Okay, I was I I didn't volunteer to do this. I was set the task oh. by your team, who clearly really like you, yeah. uh, to go through your digital archive to oh. kind of cyber stalk you in a friendly way. Oh, and I Ooh. said, sure, why not? Okay. So I uh, where did you start? <laughs> I started with the, with the humble Google, right? So the first thing I did and to, to explain this, obviously it's different because you're a hashtag celebrity now. Mm, uh, so it's, it's, it's a little bit true. harder to kind of go into your personal archive. But what I did was I went looking for any traces of you on social media and I was so impressed. You're very careful about what you put out there and how much information is out there about you. Mm, really? But yeah, I couldn't find a whole lot. What I did yeah. find though, I'm now going to read 
in the form of a what I did on my summer holidays type essay. It's called What I Learned While Cyberstalking Here in Oh Goodenie. God, okay, yeah. You can either fact check me or just nod along in embarrassment right, as we go. Right, cool. So, Kieran is from Kilkenny. Yeah. He, he studied law in UCC and mm-hmm. qualified as a solicitor in 2009. True. He left Ireland that year for Vancouver where he did various labouring jobs, but also mm-hmm. a stint on community radio in Canada. Oh, this is true. And you could finish there and say the rest is history, but I won't. Uh, when he came back to Ireland, he did a master's in journalism in DCU. Mm-hmm. He has two young children. So far, okay, yeah, two I two I acknowledge. Yes, yes. That's, that's correct. Lovely. Uh, got married in June 2013. Uh, yes, you're right, Jess. Uh, oh, he works out to there. unwind and would like to have Hitler and Stalin round for dinner. That is, I did say that once actually in answer to a question. I according my to mother gave out to me for it. According to a 2014 Stand tweet. According to my old tweets. No, no, Jess. you're fine, hon. You're fine. According to a 2014 tweet, he has played golf but not well. He did the mm-hmm. Viking Splash Tour in Dublin in July 2017, wearing the nifty Viking hat and all. Uh, that is true. Yes, Neve Hassel, Shona Murray, Rebecca Mean, if they're all there listening, all the Dan lads. Flanagan. Yeah, he's tweeted more than eight thousand times. Okay, and we can learn a lot about you from your from your oh, Twitter. Oh, my Twitter. Okay, I'd say. Oh my God, I don't think there's anything terrible there, but I'd say I was slightly scarlet for you reading through. Yeah, some have of you it. ever heard of the phrase performative intelligence? <laughs> The actual phrase itself is an example of performative intelligence because it's just a fancy way of saying showing off. But go on. Yeah, so that is very evident on your social media. Like you're an absolute dose bag, but in a nice way. Uh, so traditionally, Kieran won't put up his Christmas tree until December 8th, but doesn't mind That's buying true. his an annual Ponsettia in November, as was evident on November 28th, 2014 at 4.35pm. Wow, yeah, it's true. I often do buy an early Ponsettia and you know you can keep them going right throughout the year. Just let the soil dry out a little bit the compost in it but keep watering it in between keep it somewhere warm they're originally from Mexico thank you Parik Harkin and the Pat Kenny show that little 20 second bit kind of sums up here in social media and that he's very (laughs) boring like so dull and dry what I loved about this though was not just Kieran's presence online but also his wild and wide fan base. The best thing I found about this uh, during this little task was one particular thread on Reddit here we go Uh are you uh, ready? I'm not Are on Reddit. Ready? I don't really understand Reddit. So Reddit is where people go and they post different problems, questions, all the rest. This is my favourite thing. Help required. I'm actually in love with Kieran Cudahy heart emoji. Oh Such intellect, ability, <laughs> talent and good looking to boot. He's married though, dot, 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 sob. Oh my God. And this is a Who 60... Who put that up on social media? Probably your wife. But uh, 67 comments yeah, were maybe. underneath it. 67? All I'm disagreeing. This is like, this is incredible. So what we can take from this is that you are actually very careful online. I don't know if it's because of your, your legal background. You've got that sort of lawyer's hat on I sometimes. don't know what it is. I just remember having, really having a conversation with someone in here where I told her I could abduct her children if I wanted to because mm. of how much information she put online. I knew where they went to school. I knew their grandparents' names, their parents' names. I knew what their favourite toys were. I knew what the teddy name, what they used to always bring to school to make them say. I knew everything about mm. this child. And I remember saying, you know, I could abduct your child. Like I could do it easily. Yeah. You could do it just by going on Twitter. Yeah. I know things have taken a kind of a sinister turn just there with that example. A little bit, yeah. But I just, uh, and I'm kind of conscious of that a little bit. Well, so you may not want to share with us, but you do share with big tech. So if, if you are <laughs> listening to this at home, uh, and Kieran, I know you're in front of two screens Zuckerberg there now. can have my kids. It's not just Zuckerberg. Uh, so if you're in front of a computer, okay. if you're on your phone, go to my activity. Dot Google 
gmail.com. And if you Done. are a Gmail user, sign into your Gmail account there. Okay. And what you will see is your entire Google archive. Within oh, yes. this archive, you are going to see every Google search you have ever done. No way. Every location you have ever visited. Every YouTube video you've ever watched. Uh, not only can you see that level of information, you can also find snippets of audio notes where your phone may have recorded snippets of your conversations without you knowing. All of this information is stored oh, within crikey. this archive. What I love about this is that if you go to the map section and if you're someone who leaves your data on on your phone, your location data on your phone, you'll be able to see, like I looked at today, for example, so I could see what time I left my apartment in Leopardstown that I got the Lewis in. It showed me that I got the Lewis in. It showed me where I got my coffee. It showed me how long I was in the coffee shop. It showed me that I walked from the coffee shop to here and I haven't left since, so I'm not that exciting. Oh my God. But that level of information. So if we were to look through your archive, we yeah. would see all the trips, all the times that you have driven from your home in Kilkenny up here yeah. to the office and back again. You can get nitty gritty information it's handy in some ways so that if you want to know what restaurant did you eat in in Spain in 2017, yeah. you can scan in in Spain and find every restaurant that you went to. You can see every shop that you visited. You can zoom in. So you may not want to share with us, but you've definitely shared with Google. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm just looking at my most recent search. They're all kind. They're actually, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm just boring. My <laughs> most recent search was for Kingsmill Moor, the old judge, because I we had Kingston Mills on before the break, the immunologist, yeah. and I always mix his name up with Kingsmill Moor. So I was actually Googling Kingsmill Moor in the ad. And before that, it was the office of the ombudsman. Ah, Kieran, come Peter on now, please. And an article. Can we try Irish and Times. set a campaign to make Kieran exciting? Oh, that is a bit sad. That is, that is all sad. a bit sad. Fair play to you, Jess. Uh, Jess Kelly there, our own technology correspondent. Uh, listen, stay with us uh, here. It's not all sad and boring on the hard shoulder. That's just me. 